sheep need a shepherd. Do you agree with that? I love that Jesus strong and kind. I like the way it switches there at the end where he have all of the, I should go to him. And then at the end, it says, he will come to me. And sheep need a shepherd. They need someone to come to them to shepherd them. As I encourage you to block out the ninth, eighth, ninth, and 10th in your plans of, in March for that missions conference. Uh, let the kids come on that Saturday morning, get a free meal, parents free meal on a Saturday morning for your kids. I mean, we'll, above and beyond that, they'll learn about missions in Jesus. So the, the meal is the lead, all right? Let's not bury the lead. <laughs> we'll come for the meal, stay for missions. But what I want to see is that I would love to see Jesus light a fire in some of these kids' hearts to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if they start to learn about it early and see it, it's one of the most... I pray that with trepidation, right, for my own kids, Lord. I, I, I pray sometimes, Lord, if you want to send them to the ends of the earth, raise them up, give them a heart for it. And then I'm also like, and help me understand that that'll be okay, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's one of, those, one of those prayers. But it's because there are lost sheep out there, and sheep desperately need a shepherd. And so one day I was driving from San Angelo to uh, Austin, Texas area, not that that's important, but I was driving and it's kind of this lot of sheep and goat country out there southeast of San Angelo. And uh, this is in Texas and I'm cruising along and I notice that these sheep are in full defense formation. So the rams are kind of out front, the, the, the ewes are there behind them and then the lambs are kind of in the circle in the middle and they are all in full defense backing up slowly. And I, I thought it was pretty cool, those rams were out in front. So I I did a U-turn to go see what it was that they were scared of. Because Sarah tells me I watch for animals more than I watch the road. You, you can judge for yourself. And um, I go around, I, I pull around, come back, and they're still in this defense formation. They're backing up, they're scared. And I look, and they're moving carefully and slowly across the field in their direction is a tumbleweed. And they were terrified of this tumbleweed. And it would have been trespassing, but it would have been easy to walk over there and just grab the tumbleweed, right? Walk it around, toss it over the fence. The sheep could have rested easy. Sheep just need shepherds. They need shepherds. And we see this in Mark chapter 6 with the disciples. They needed a shepherd and with the masses. So turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Now, biblically, when we think about this shepherd... A biblical shepherd was a leader, one who exercised authority in the Old Testament, one who oversaw and led and cared for God's people. God would even lament at times when his shepherds, his sheep had no shepherds. And he promised to send them shepherds. And many of the key leaders in the Bible were shepherds at one point, vocationally, Moses and David. And sheep need a shepherd that'll give them the certainties of Psalm 23 that Ryan just read for us. It's still waters, green pastures, protection, food. And the disciples' doubt needed to be replaced with confidence and certainty and faith in Jesus that he can do what's needed. And again and again, Jesus proves to them, I can do what's needed. I'm the good shepherd. And over and over again, as we read the Gospels, he'll prove this for you as well. And so we see Jesus this morning as the good shepherd, the shepherd the people need. We'll see that he loves his sheep. 
We'll see that he provides for his sheep. And we'll see that he sends his sheep. He loves them. He provides for them and he'll send them. Our shepherd loves his sheep. Look at Mark chapter 6. The apostles have been sent out and now they've returned to Jesus after doing great works. And this is in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away into the boat, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii of worth of bread and give it to them? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men, which implies women and children as well. So probably closer to 15,000 people. I think the amazing love we see in Jesus here as our good shepherd right out of the gate is that he wants his sheep to come away with him. In verses 30 through 32, the apostles have returned. These are his disciples, right? And he wants them to come away. He, he, Jesus begins to withdraw now in the Gospels, the time where he begins to separate a bit from his public ministry. And it may have been Herod's jealousy that was posing a threat to him, right? Last, in the last section there, we just remember, learned a lot about King Herod and the maniacal man that he was. Many, though, of Jesus' followers had a really misguided zeal. They were ready to make him king. And so he's pulling back. The hostility of Jewish leaders was rising up. And so he's pulling back. He's pouring into these disciples, these apostles, who are then going to go on and take the gospel out to the nations. And practically here, though, we see that the disciples needed rest. And Jesus wanted to pour into them with his love, his instruction. He wanted and desired and longed for time with his disciples. So he says, come away. Come away with me to a place. And the first thing they're doing, it says in verse 30, is they're telling him all that he had done and taught. They had done. So Jesus genuinely wants to hear about ministry. He wants to hear about life. He wants them to come and talk to him and tell him about their missionary journeys. Listen to them, engage them. It would have been fun to sit in on this and hear what the disciples said. Would you, I mean, they were sitting out in pairs. I'm sure Peter's partner had some stories to tell about what he and Peter got into. Right? Like, Jesus, when you have a minute, can we talk? Peter, he's pretty impulsive. 
I don't, like, I don't think he thinks before he talks. You know, I don't know what these conversations would have been like. Or if you went out with one of the sons of thunder, you know, John and James, Jesus, I mean, we need to go back and probably smooth some things over. <laughs> they, they were threatening to call down fire from heaven. Like, you know, there was probably these kinds of dialogues with Jesus. Opening up, here's the ministry that we were doing. Here's the challenges we face. What have you to say, Jesus? Tell us about this. And he would have been teaching them, helping them process the problems they ran into, making suggestions for future ministry opportunities. And this all proves his love for his disciples, that he genuinely cares. They're not just tools in a toolbox. He's sending them out, bringing them back, interacting with them, developing them. And then look at verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And then it's, it's reiterated in 32. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves to rest a while. You don't go to a desolate place to rest with people you don't like. You ever thought about that? Like, doesn't this show his warmth and love to his disciples? My sister posted an interesting question on social media this week. She just asked the question, do you believe God likes you? Do you believe God likes you? That's a good question. Sometimes I think we believe he only loves us because Jesus died for us and therefore he kind of has to, like begrudgingly. That's not the nature and character of God at all. And it's not the nature and character of Jesus at all. God the Son and God the Father are in full agreement. And if you are in Christ and he has borne your sins and brought you to God, God the Father delights in you. He delights to be with you. He wants to be alone with you. He likes you. He enjoys time with his people like Jesus did here and got away to a desolate place and rested a while. In his presence is everlasting joy, pleasures forevermore, abundant life. Jesus liked the disciples and prioritized time with the disciples. He loves us. He, we are not an inconvenience to him. He wants to engage us and be with us and process our trials and our troubles and our struggles because he's a good shepherd that loves. But then he also says, come away and do what? Come away and rest. I know Bob, I didn't get to be in Bob's Sunday school class, but I know this is what we've discussed the last two weeks. Jesus knows our weakness. He knows that we are dust, limited, finite beings. And oh, how we need purposeful rest in the presence of our Savior. Notice that Jesus does not say to these disciples, Let's go, let's go. What are you doing? Why are you here? Get back out there. Go hard after it again. He says, no, just come away, rest, settle, be with me for a time. Be renewed, be refreshed, and then go back. And then go back. He has regard for us. He asks for us. He asks from us what he knows we are able to do by his power, by his strength, by his grace. We work and we rest. We tell him about our struggles, our trials while we're resting. We cast our cares upon them. He hears them. He likes to hear them. He likes to listen to us. And then he sends us back out. 
Now, along this way, they're in a boat. They're trying to rest to get to a desolate place. Boats were a much faster form of travel. So they're, they're probably moving along the shore and the crowds are seeing them and they're keeping an eye on them. And they're just like, yeah, wherever they land, we're going. And their bunch of people from the cities are flooding along and they're ready to receive Jesus to the degree that they can't eat again. And the crowds are there. Come, meet us, teach us. We want to hear from you. I would be so annoyed. I say this most Sundays when I see Jesus. I would be annoyed, but Jesus, not, not at all. Not at all. Because he's a loving shepherd. He sees these people. They're, they're hungry. They need a shepherd. And what does he say in verses 33 and 34? When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus is compelled. This compassion just overflows from within him. He loves the crowd that he's moved towards them to help them because they are like a sheep without a shepherd. There's so many things in this story that should jog your memory of Moses and his interactions with the Israelites in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus is going to split these people into groups, just like Moses split them into groups. And he'll feed them bread, just as the Lord provided manna for the Israelites. And just like Moses taught, Jesus will teach them and lead them and direct them. And then Jesus or Moses will say, like, Joshua's going to be here to go out before you, come in before you, lead you, bring you in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep with no shepherd. And here is Jesus saying, these are sheep without a shepherd. And one of the greatest condemnations, you can read about it in Ezekiel 34, God gave the leaders of Israel is that they didn't feed the sheep, but instead fattened up themselves. They didn't protect the people. They slaughtered the weak and scattered the sheep. They didn't seek them, but they left them to wild beasts. And here Jesus is doing the very opposite. He's the shepherd, leader, king that Israel needs. And he's present with his people. He has compassion on them and he knows their needs and he's gonna feed them. He's going to feed them at his own expense and then empower his apostles to do the same. Eventually, he'll go on to protect the people. Any condemnation that Israel had for their failure in leaders, Jesus will do perfectly. He'll conquer death and resurrection. He'll move to the weak, the sheep that were scattered. He'll move and call them back to himself. He provides for his sheep because he loves them. He cares for them. And so we see this deep love of Jesus in the way that he will provide for his sheep. Our shepherd loves his sheep and he provides for his sheep. They're like a group, he says, with no guidance, no spiritual food. They were ignorant. They were helpless. They're just running to the shoreline to meet the boat with Jesus in it. And there's some good reason to think that this crowd was a little rowdy. So the region was known to hold zealots aiming to overthrow Roman occupation. They may have been running to Jesus to say, hey, come on, Jesus, let's go. Let's overthrow. Let's get a political rally going here. Let's get some newer, more momentum for our movement and get Rome out of here. In John 6, 15, at the end of this very story, Jesus was perceiving them that they were going to come and take him by force to make him king. And he withdrew to the mountain by himself. And so these pe poor sheep simply needed a shepherd that would provide for them. And that's worse what he does is he corrects their, their ideas about him. He teaches 
So the first way he provides is he teaches for them. Look at verse 34. There at the very end, he began to teach them many things. So we don't know exactly what our Lord spoke to them, but it shows that the one, one of the primary ways the Lord does care for his sheep and provide for us is through teaching, renewing our minds. He knows our minds are fallen. We don't see life correctly. He knows the sinful, impulsive thoughts that race through our minds, often uninvited. He knows them. He knows that we need our minds renewed to test and discern what the good and pleasing and perfect will of God is. He knows we tend to misunderstand him. And he teaches us. And if this was a crowd of zealots seeking to overthrow Rome, they've got a big surprise coming, don't they? Because Mark, Mark may have paired this feast next to Herod's feast. So they're about to have a feast on a green hillside. And Herod just had this big banquet. And you see kind of the stark contrast between the way of the world and their leaders and the way of Jesus and his shepherd leadership. Herod throws this big banquet, everyone come to me. And Jesus goes to the people. Herod's banquet is self-serving. My, my birthday, he threw himself a big birthday party. Jesus is his self-giving. Herod invited all the strong, all the elites, all the leaders. Jesus goes to the crowd that needs that compassion. They're shepherd without sheep. Herod's banquet ends in death. Jesus' banquet gives life, nourishment to all that partake. We need correction and teaching and information for, from our Lord because life's gonna look different under the Lordship of Jesus than we think. And he comes to this crowd and he teaches. So let us as sheep have a humble posture of learning when we engage Jesus. When we come to him, we say, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your name. Give me an undivided heart, O God, that I might fear your name. Open my eyes that I can behold wonderful things from your word, right? Show me the error of my ways. Establish me in your truth. Fill me with wisdom, Jesus. I am a sheep. I am prone to wander. I am scared of tumbleweeds, but you are my shepherd. And you will fulfill me and provide me with inexhaustible wisdom and truth. You will lead me in the everlasting way. Come humbly to our shepherd who teaches us. But then he also feeds us. He teaches us and he feeds us. His mighty power to create from nothing enough food to feed 15 to 20,000 people. That is certainly the focus of this story. The Lord by his power creates enough bread and fish to feed this massive crowd. And so jump into that setting here, verses 35 and 36. The disciples are tired. They're despairing. They don't know how this is going to work out. Look at 35. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. Like Jesus didn't know. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, to just like, let them figure it out, Jesus, right? Send them away, let them figure it out. I think, I think they're just tired. I think they're at, their, <laughs> at the end of the rope, right? The tank's on empty. This is sometimes Sarah and I have a, a joke. We're sitting at the dinner table right after, after we've made dinner and fed the kids and everything. And then you're sitting there and they've all dispersed and you're trying to kind of rally the strength to clean up. Maybe some of you know this. 
And uh, sometimes Sarah and I joke around and just like, like, nighttime nanny. Is there a nighttime nanny anywhere that will just come in and finish the day for us because we're spent and uh, it hasn't worked yet, but we're hopeful. The disciples are just tired and their solution is just send them away. Just send them away. It's not unreasonable. I mean, these people walk there, they can walk back. But Jesus' heart is in, is in compassion mode and he knows they're fatigued and walking away, they may not make it very far. And Jesus responds in verse 37, you give them something to eat. <laughs> He's such a remarkable man. Jesus, we just told you this place is desolate. There's no food around here. And they say, even if we had 200 denarii, which is about a year's wages, that's not gonna be enough. But Jesus has a plan. Like Moses in the wilderness, the people are grumbling, they're complaining. They remember Egypt and the fish they eat in Egypt and the vegetables. And they're like, Moses, we, can we have some meat? Which I'm sympathetic towards. And then they said, you know, we should go back to Egypt. At least we had vegetables there. It's like, y'all forgot your slavery. And Moses responds, where am I to give meat to all these people? I mean, he's, he's tired. He's kind of like these disciples. They weep before me. They say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all of these people alone. And, and one of my favorite realities of the scriptures is they don't cover up people's weaknesses. And Moses is at a point where he says, this burden's too heavy for me. Lord, if you'll treat me like this, just kill me. If I find favor in your sight, that I might, that I might not see my wretchedness. Moses felt so much strain that he preferred death to leading the people in that moment. And God tells him, and this is such a great word, is the arm of the Lord too short to deliver? No way it's too short. And God sends quail in abundance from the sea and the people eat it and not long after complain some more. But here the Lord doesn't immediately relieve their concern. He intensifies it. You give them something to eat. It's like he wants to press their inability to do things without his faithful care. He loves to show us our need for him so that we come to him. And then they're kind of resorting to extreme conditions, right? Just send them away. We don't have a, we don't have a year's worth of wages right here. They can't imagine how this is going to work out. But Jesus knows. And he always knows. He's our shepherd that provides. Every time we hit that crux moment in our life, and I need this more than anyone else that says, I don't know how this is going to work out, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And so what does he do? He says, well, what do you have? Five loaves and two fish. Well, that's, that's enough for Jesus. <laughs> that's enough for him. So just like Moses dividing up the Israelites to care for their needs, he divides up this crowd on the hillside, 50s and 100s. And where the disciples see impossibility, Jesus sees possibility. When the disciples focus on what they don't have, Jesus focuses on what they do have. So Jesus prays over the food, a Jewish prayer. He says, praise be to you, O Lord, our God, King of the world. That, I don't know if he says this. This is a Jewish prayer. I'm just supplying one. And there's an, an interesting connection here. Praise be to you, O Lord, our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth and from the earth and who provides for all that you have created. That was a common Jewish prayer. And interestingly, I read that in a scholarly commentary. 
I went to lunch with Dan and Michelle Krask and my wife this week. I mean, Stark. Sorry, there's a Dan and Michelle Krask in a past life. And uh, the Starks, and guess what? At Chewy's on their silverware, they have that exact same Jewish prayer. Isn't that amazing? No? Okay. I thought it was astounding that I could have had that same insight from a Mexican food restaurant as I did reading a commentary. I mean, eating chips and salsa is a lot easier than reading some of these commentaries. But anyway, I saved it for a light moment here. Chewy's is my favorite Mexican food place, if anyone's wondering. All right. Anyway, he blessed the food. He prays over this moment. Jesus doesn't just plow ahead without recognizing his own dependence on the Father. He calls down God's blessing upon this moment, and then he distributes to the disciples to give to the people. And what happens in verse 42? They all ate and were satisfied. Our shepherd provides. All four gospels point out that this deep satisfaction. And John even says they got as much as they wanted. And others say they were filled. 5,000 men aren't filled unless it's a lot of food. There's so much power in Jesus on full display here. The one who made the heavens, the one who made the earth is here caring for these people. The one who along with the father sent manna in the desert is now creating bread and fish right here, right now, distributing it out of nothing. The bread of life, the water of life, the one who can satisfy every need so that we'll never thirst again is here distributing food to these poor sheep without a shepherd. And it says he sits them down on a green hillside. I think it's intentional to recollect Psalm 23, that he leads us beside into green pastures. He likes to bring us beside still waters. This is our good shepherd. And he prepares a table for these people in the presence of their enemies. They need compassion, and he does that. And when all is done... There's 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, what? one for each disciple to take home? One, one, representing one for each tribe of Israel? The point being that he provides sufficiently, satisfyingly, and he has abundant leftover for all his people. For all his people. He's strong and he's kind to provide for your every need. He lives right now and he ever leaves to intercede for you. He's not changed. He has not changed. He is constantly on your side, constantly available for you. So do you come to Jesus and stay with Jesus until you find that satisfaction? As his sheep, do you come and receive from him grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, and just stay with him until you're satisfied? Just stay there. Do you come to him and confess your sins and find his forgiveness satisfying? Do you pray to him, seek his will, know that his purposes will prevail even amidst the hardship and darkness and trials and find his provision satisfying? Do you remember his promises that he, he gives and takes away, but blessed is the name of the Lord, and just stay in the presence of Jesus and in his promises until you're satisfied. Give yourself the freedom to come into the presence of Jesus until you find his full 
and complete satisfaction to rest on your life and you're fully accepted in him. Because he's a good shepherd that loves you and he's a good shepherd that provides for your every need. He protects us from the evil one. He's here with us now. And you have the pleasure of sitting in a green pasture with your savior and receiving his love and his mercy afresh every day and staying in his presence until you're satisfied. Because that's exactly what happened here on this hillside. And then what? Well, then our shepherd sent his sheep. Sheep that are satisfied in their shepherd are ready to go out and bless the world. They're ready to invite other sheep into the fold. They're ready to tell people about the satisfying work of our glorious shepherd and savior. Satisfied sheep bring people to the shepherd. Notice what he asked the disciples. I am so thankful for this. Verse 38, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they came and told him. Notice that Jesus is not reproachful here. He doesn't say, why don't you have more? He says, hey, go and see what you have. Go and see what you have. He's happy to work with what you have. It's one of my favorite things about James 1, this promise that if anyone asks for wisdom from God in faith, he gives to all generously and without reproach. He's not going to beat you up over something that can only come from him. I may have said this again before, but that's the point here. He's not saying, disciples, why didn't you think about this? Why didn't you plan for this moment? Why don't you have? He said, hey, what do you have? What do you have? He looks at us, Frack, and he says, what do you have? He's not looking at us saying, I can't believe you don't have. He's not looking at us saying, you can't get anything done without He's not looking at us saying, what are you doing? Don't you know? I get a lot of the emails, right? Church growth emails. In order for your church to grow, you've got to... That's not how he operates. He says, what do you have? You have the gospel. You have each other. You have the gifts that he's given you and me and us. What strengths do we have that we can use to serve the Lord, Frack? Like... I was telling our, my friends here that when I came to this church, this, the office is a huge selling point. If you ever want to come see the office, come see the office. But in God's kindness, the mountains are incredible. Obviously, the mountains are incredible. But that's, that, those windows out to the city draw my gaze more and more. Because that's where, the, that's like, that's what we've got to go get, right? That's who we've got to be after. So what do we have that we can leverage for the extension of the gospel into this community? I'm really excited to dream about what the Lord is going to use us for with the gifts and strengths that we have as his disciples, as his sheep, right here, right now, at this place, to take the goodness of Jesus Christ, our separate, that we find satisfying, out to lost sheep. You have a good thing here, Frack. I'm fairly new to it. You're a loving people who serve Christ in each other well, you have held firm to the trustworthy word as taught. I want people to know and experience the goodness of what we have right here and the all-satisfying shepherd that we have. And the way Jesus is doing it is saying, Frack, what do you have? What do you have? Look at the picture that, that you get 
in verse 41 of how Jesus carries this out. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He gave them to the disciples to set before the people. The disciples are coming to Jesus, receiving. The disciples are going out to these lost sheep, distributing. The disciples come back to Jesus and receive, and they go out to the lost sheep and distribute. And, and maybe, uh, you know, they see food running out and people are like, hey, we haven't gotten it yet. You know, Peter, we haven't gotten it yet. He's like, hey, well, let me, I gotta go back to Jesus. There's plenty. There's plenty in Jesus. There's plenty for you in Jesus. You just need to come know him, hang on. And over and over again, the disciples came, received bread and fish, nourishment from their shepherd, then went out and gave it to over and over and over until 15, 20,000 people were filled up. Think of your life individually this way and think of us as a church this way. Coming to Jesus, filled up with his love and grace, filled up with his word, fish and bread, and then taking it out to others, only to come back again. And this is a cycle that we do until we see the church full of all of God's lost sheep in Colorado Springs, over and over and over and over again. He's the all-sufficient savior and shepherd. He's the shepherd who can create bread and fish from nothing. He's the good shepherd that leads us behind, beside still waters in the green pastures. He protects us in the valley of the shadow of death. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Don't you want your neighbors to know that? What's that one person? Who's the one person? We've said this a few times that the Lord has burdened your heart for that you need to give Jesus to. They need to know him. They need to know this all-satisfying shepherd. Keep coming to Jesus. You keep coming to Jesus. Beg Jesus to save that person. Keep filling up with Jesus and take that all-satisfying shepherd to others and invite them into this glorious, loving shepherd that we have. There's an old hymn, How Sweet and Awful is the Place. That's the name of the hymn, Awful in a awe-inspiring way. And the final verse says this, we long to see thy churches full, that all the chosen race may with one voice and heart and soul sing thy redeeming grace. Don't you long to see the fullness of our shepherd's flock gathered? Finding Jesus to be their loving shepherd who supplies their needs, who teaches them, who comforts them, and then sends them out. That's who we want to be. We want to be sheep who make sheep, who bring sheep to the shepherd. We keep coming to Jesus. He fills us up and we go out to the masses. With one heart, one soul, we sing his redeeming grace. And he looks at us, frack, and he doesn't say, why haven't you? Why don't you? He says, what do you have? What do you have? And then someday we'll see the church is full singing of his all-satisfying redeeming grace. Let's pray together. And then we'll turn our hearts to sing. Lord Jesus, it is, uh, you are a glorious, all-sufficient Savior. 
and we find you satisfying, we find you delightful, find you incredible. We're thankful that you love us and that you desire to spend time with us. And you have gifted and equipped this church, Lord, for all of your good purposes and plans for us. And so help us, give us wisdom, give us insight into how to reach the lost sheep and have compassion on the sheep right here in Colorado Springs that need to know you as their shepherd. Lord, give us boldness, give us confidence to, to share your goodness with those around us. Lord, fill us up that we're so satisfied in you that we long to see others come into knowing you. Lord, I, I confess, and I'm sure many in here, that it is hard. It's hard to speak of your all-satisfying love to, for fear of rejection, for uncertainty, for awkward moments, for concern of inconveniencing others. But Lord, we trust you and we know that you are the good shepherd and that when we open doors and invite people in to know you and see you and experience you, Lord, that you will bring full and complete satisfaction. So fix our eyes firmly on you, Lord Jesus, your deep love for us, your great provision for us, and send us out confidently, Lord, confident in your abundant work that is to come right here. We pray all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.